your Bible, if you would please, Proverbs chapter 11, and we'll carry these to the Lord in prayer. Proverbs chapter number 11. We're going to try to make a switch in the weeks to come in the book of Proverbs uh, where we will take topics from the remaining chapters, but uh, Proverbs chapter 11. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll get into the study. Father, we thank you for Wednesday night. We thank you for your house. And Lord, I thank you for a group of people that are family, that love each other and care about each other. And, and I believe that Brother Wally is right, that we care so much that we carry each other to the throne of grace daily. And we do uplift before you, Brother Wally, and don't know when these test results come back. But Father, I pray that you would give grace and strength. And Lord, we pray that uh, we would hear that situation is treatable be with both he and Rebecca father we pray for brother miss Wolford and how your grace needs to extend to them Lord both of these wonderful folks are struggling physically uh, we thank you for sparing Mary's life and from everything we understand uh, because of her oxygen level and kidneys even this past weekend could have she could have gone home and and father I pray and brother Phil is soon going to learn about his cancer and if it's spread and the treatment and God we ask you to give clear direction for this couple and and Father I pray your grace to extend to him we pray that Mary would be able to get to go home and strengthen her as she's home uh, and give the children wisdom to know how to help mom and dad and Father we think about that we thank you for what the news we have heard with Michelle we pray that soon we'd see her and continue to help her to regain her strength and come back we do pray for Richard and father it was our prayer that you would allow the shot to work or shots to work and certainly you know more than and better than we do and God I pray that you would help the doctors and those that would attend his care to know what to do and I pray soon that he'd uh, be able to get treatment that would be beneficial and work many other needs are mentioned tonight father and I pray that you'd hear from heaven your dwelling place and answer accordingly may your will be done in our lives Bless the study tonight, Lord, bind me to thy word, lead us by thy spirit, and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen. Proverbs chapter 11, we went verses number 1 through 9, we talked about last week that false balance, um, saw what it is, look at verse number 10, when it goeth well with the righteous, the city rejoiceth, when the wicked perish, there is shouting. By the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted, but it is overthrown by the mouth of the wicked. Doesn't seem that way today, does it? Doesn't seem like America really wants Christian people to do well uh, and there to be more of us. Um, we'll talk about that in just a moment. Verse 12 says, He that is void of wisdom despiseth his neighbor, but a man of understanding holdeth his peace. A talebearer revealeth secrets, but he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. Where no counsel is, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors there is safety. Uh, I want you to look at the comparisons again. We started this last week. Solomon is comparing in different avenues of life. He's comparing the godly or the righteous with the wicked. I want to talk to you about the character of a, a community citizens. That's mentioned in verse number 10 through 13. Solomon mentions two principles for strengthening our community. My wife told me we're not getting the blanks filled in, so I'll try to let you know where they are. Uh, strengthening, there's a blank there, strengthening our community. I mean this honestly. 
I do believe, and, and don't get mad at pastor, I'm just stating the facts. I'm not trying to steer you one way or the other. But the truth of the matter is, and help me with some, but somebody who follows the news, I know of no Democrat that's running for president that does not despise our country. We have one that is a mil, one that, well, we have two, uh, the mayor of Indianapolis and uh, Gabbard that are military, uh, they're vets. But what I'm saying is this, they blame America for all the ills in our society. And I think about this, I, and America has its problems, for sure. I'm still glad and thankful to be an American, and I'm thankful for this country. But I look at that if we don't change course, the judgment hand of God must come on America. Did you read some of what I read last week? For the first time, a major leader in the Planned Parenthood admitted that they time the pregnancies, the abortions of the pregnancies, so they can harvest body parts. That's happening in our country. And that precious little life is something given of God, and we'll answer for that. But Solomon mentions two things. You uplift righteous, and you extol the society. So when our laws, when our governors, when our House and Senate, when our courts uplift the righteous then we bless, God is able to bless our nation. And he gives another, exalt the righteous and you exalt society. There's a blank to fill in there. Exalt the righteous and you exalt society. So the health of any nation or community is directly related to how they treat the upright and the righteous. God blesses us and God blesses our country when we uphold and bless those that are living righteous lives. And yet, watch this. I believe that our vice president claims to be a Christian. He has good morals and values. And the society, I mean, the press literally despises him, hates him. I don't say this to you. When you look at America and you want God's blessings upon America, Solomon tells us that these two things, attributes, must be a wise government extols and ex exalts the righteous and vigorously suppresses the evil and the wicked. Is that happening in America? The United States was founded by men who understood these principles and placed them in all the fundamental doctrine or foundational documents as they established this great country. They put them into our laws. They put them into the Bill of Rights. They stamped them on our coinage and on our paper currency. Everywhere you went, the buildings that were built, the White House and, and everything, you'll see a reference to the God who made it all possible. These were godly and great men as they built this great nation. They stamped their belief in God and everything. Because of this, the nation partook in the blessings of God. No other nation on earth quite was blessed like America was blessed in its founding. And up to for the first hundreds of years, a hundred years, we were blessed and we enjoyed the blessings of God. Our nation prospered. While there is a remarkable vocal Christian community, we are a minority in America today. I remember Brother Bill, I don't know where you or Brother Bliss or Brother Stevens downstairs, some of you men. Do you remember where you were when Jerry Falwell started the moral majority? 
And he, Brother Farwell, believed this, that there's still a Christian majority in America. Didn't when that early 70s, mid-70s, something like that? Now, let me say, there might have been a, minor, a majority of Christian people, godly people in America at that time. There, are not now, there is not now. We are in the minority in our, in our country. But even though we are vocal and we are, we are uh, in places God would have it, there is a remarkable that secular humanism has penetrated all levels of our society. So Solomon puts two things in place. When the righteous are extolled and lifted up and exalted, we elect those kind of leaders or our elected leaders choose their leaders based on their walk with God and their foundational principles, then God blesses our nation. But when America does not do that and we turn away from the teachings that made this land great, then God must judge America. And think about this. Is religion being taught in the public schools? Yes. Yes. The Seventh Circuit Court in Oregon some years ago said, yes, secular humanism is a religion. It's a religion. And it most certainly is. And it is being taught in our public schools and universities. We look at this, why the shootings in our school? Why the absence of, of value of life? Some statistics I'll read for you. 1962 first and then 63 we removed the Bible and prayer from our public schools. It may be the most spiritually significant event in the nation's history in the last 65 years. We told God, you're not welcome in our schools. We don't want our young people being uh, proselytized for them to be influenced. So we kicked Bible and prayer out of the schools. June 25, 1962, the United States Supreme Court decided in Engel versus Vital that prayer approved by the New York Board of Regents for use in schools violated the First Amendment. God forbid that we would encourage our young people in schools to pray. I remember this public school in Ellicott, Colorado. I remember two teachers. One was Mrs. Fossinger and one was Mrs. Horn. And they were both godly women that were Sunday school teachers. In public school, when I went in 1960, we started the class with prayer. And she would sometimes call somebody from the, from the, one of the students, would you like to pray for us today? And the students knew how to pray. And then sometimes, Mrs. Horn especially, because she was a Baptist, she would read us a scripture, and we would pledge the flag. Amen. Can you imagine? Now, this is not a, this is not a, a Christian school. In 1963, in Abington School District versus Skimp, the court decided that Bible readings in public schools were no longer, and they violated the First Amendment. Let me show you what's happened since then. Academic achievement has plummeted, including SAT scores. We are in 30, the last I looked at, we are nation number 37. Do you know that Baltimore, in the last year, 
did not graduate one student in the city of Baltimore, not graduated one student that could go into college and pass a CAT test or an SAT test, not one. Our academic scores have plummeted, increased the rate of out-of-wedlock births. Follow me with this. You, I remember this in public school. There'd be a young lady, so she just disappeared. And everybody knew she got pregnant out of wedlock. She had the baby. She came back sometimes. Increase in illegal drug use. Increase in juvenile crime. Deterioration of school behavior. Other facts include a comparison between the top five complaints of teachers from 1940 to 1962. Let me tell you what they are. Talking without permission, chewing gum, making noise in class, running in the halls, and getting out of turn in line. What do you think they are today? Let me give them to you. Rape, robbery, assault, burglary, and arson. You see, Solomon is right, and he said, when our nation uplifts the righteous and the things of God, that God blesses our nation. When we turn away from them, and we turn into, and I know we mention this oftentimes, so I want to give you a little tidbit. When we taught this a year ago in, in Wednesday night when we had split classes, some of you went downstairs, others, there, this, this idea of secular humanism being taught in our, in our public schools, what is it? Any system or mode, this is what Mr. Webster would say, any system or mode of thought or action in which human interest, values, or dignity are predominant. But Webster doesn't go far enough. Secular humanism is a worldview. It's a worldview. And secondly, secular humanism is a religious worldview. Do you know this? If you're a humanist, you're an atheist. But they can, I, I, I watched this. I saw a man that is leading secular humanist classes, and he said, we don't want to use the A word. We don't want, you know, parents will rise up if they realize we're teaching atheism and agnosticism to our kids. But we're okay with secular humanism. And secular humanism is atheism. And watch it, and this is not my words. These are their own. The Humanist Manifesto declares these affirmations are not a final creed or dogma, but an expression of living and growing faith. Humanist Manifesto would say this is a religion. What are the basic beliefs? The, uh, theologically, secular humanists are atheists. Humanism, now watch this, and this is under their own teacher, Paul Kurtz says this, humanism cannot, in any fair sense of the word, apply to one who still believes in God. So what are we teaching our kids? Don't believe in God. So they take a gun and kill 10 or 15 of their classmates, and we say, we got to get rid of guns. We don't say we've got to teach them to value life, and that there's a God, and every life is important. Now, watch this. Mr. Crutch said, humanism can, in any fair sense of the word, apply to one who still believes in God as the source and creator of the universe. Therefore, if we're teaching 
secular humanism in schools, we've got to get uh, evolution side by side. We can't even any longer teach creationism and even as an alternative. So theologically, they're atheists, but watch this. You think about this. Mr. Lamont, we studied about this man in the classes. Humanism contends that in, instead of uh, God's creating the cosmos, the cosmos is individualized from any form of human being reign to their imagination. We ourselves created these gods. Philosophically, humanists are naturalists. Do you understand why we have a 12-year-old girl that was invited before the United Nations and wept and cried? She literally believes that we can't, will not have air to breathe and a place to live in five to ten years because as naturalists, this is all they have. This world is all they have. There is no heaven to go to. There's no life hereafter. They're naturalists, which means this. They believe that nature is all that exists. Carl Sagan said this when he said, the cosmos or the universe is all that there is or ever will be. I'm not going to go on. I'm not gonna, can I tell you this? Now, Solomon is saying here that we as a country or a people, when we uplift godly people or godly values, God blesses our nation. Consequently, when we turn from them, God must bring judgment on any nation that turns from them. Well, look what the Bible said. The Bible and prayer have been taken out of the public schools. I, read the, I, I heard this on the news, coming to church tonight. Mamas, good, good news. You got a little girl? Stephen and Rebecca, they're discipling. Mattel is coming out just in time for Christmas with a gender-neutral doll. So you can choose. We don't, and here's what Mattel said. We don't want to exclude anybody. Where is our nation going? And we want God's blessing. Think about this. The home has been affected. And somebody said it this way. I believe it. Here's a blank to fill in. As goes the home, so goes the church. As goes the church, so goes the nation. Mamas and daddies, if you have children or grandchildren at home, you've got a job to do. Who was it that said the, the, the arms that rock the cradle run the universe and run the nation? What a great job we have to do. Drugs and pornography and sodomy have taken over our nation. In many of the public schools now, we have drag queen reading hour. We're inviting drag queens in to read to our little kindergartners and first graders. Try to see if you can get into any public school and sit down with those boys and girls and read the Word of God to them. What is happening with our nation? You see where Solomon says, and Solomon just backs up what David said and what God himself said. The United States is in a crisis by enormous national and private debt. Our national debt is going to eat us up. What do we do? How do the courts are lenient with criminals and punishment is often cut short? Does the Bible not say happy is the nation whose God is whom? The Lord. 
And then we, 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 we elect men and women that uphold the values that are important to us. And so God blesses our nation. I want you to look at this in verse 12 and 13. Those who harm a community, verse 12 or 13, uh, he that is void of wisdom despiseth his neighbor, but a man of understanding holdeth his peace. Solomon gives warning, here's a blank to fill in, to not despise our neighbor. Your neighbor isn't just somebody who lives by you. I, years ago, I got the biggest kick out of watching. Somebody said, Brother Roger, have you ever watched a man named Norman? How many of you have ever seen a man named Norman? You ought to watch it. Here's a man whose neighbor, let me try to describe him for you, wore a big greasy overcoat, hair matted and greasy, lived in a house with weeds up tall, windows broken out. The kids would mock him and make fun of him. He could hardly talk. When he, when he spoke, it was not legible. The kids would play jokes on him and break out the windows in his house and treat him rudely. And one day a man was in church, so I'm here in church tonight, and heard some kind of teaching or preaching like this, don't despise your neighbor. And he went home and God said to him, he said, I want you to go introduce yourself to Norman. No, Lord, you don't want me to do that. Yeah, I do. I want you to go introduce yourself to Norman. Walked across the street and knocked on the door. And the man came and he could hardly speak. And long story short, how that man, this man, God began to work in this man's heart. I want you to love him and I want you to help him. And, and he'd go and cut his, cut his weeds and fix his house. And he said this, this, this funniest thing. He said, I went into his bathroom. You can only imagine how filthy and dirty. And his commode was leaking. And the Lord said to me, Get him a new commode. Now, you ladies may never understand this, but if you, how many of you men have ever changed a commode? You almost have to hug it. It's when you get down there, you, you do, Brother Andrew, you're right. And this man said, oh, Lord, do you know, do you know, have you seen Norman's commode? God said, yeah, I want you to change it. So he did. And then they said, they were having the men were going to a baseball game, and they said, I want you to take Norman. Oh, Lord, come on. Norman to a big baseball game. So he goes over, and he said, and this is how Norman talked. He said, Norman, do you, you don't really want to go to, with us to a baseball game. Uh, you do? Uh. All right, Norman, the guys in the church are going to a baseball game. He went, and it, it's summertime, it's hot, and, and he's got this long, greasy, matted coat on, this, this trench coat, and his hair just, and, and so, and they're getting up, seventh inning stretch, and they're clapping, you know, take me out to the ballpark, and he tells them, he said, Norman, you're going to take that coat off. I'm not going to sit the rest of the game with you with that coat on. No. So Norman takes his coat off, and he realizes he has no seat in his trousers. He said, Norman, put your coat back on. <laughs> Process of time, they took this man on family vacation with him, led him to Christ, and he became a valuable part of the community and the church family. 
Michael Faraday. Some of you have heard about this. He was a simple blacksmith in 1867 in English, in England. He was an English scientist. He loved chemistry. Let me tell you some of his inventions. The electric motor, stainless steel, the dynamo. He discovered how to bend light with magnets. But you see, Michael Faraday was a godly Christian man. Many times he went before these scientists in these meetings, and they knew what he had done, but they, would, they, they, they despised him because he belonged to a little tiny church of under 25 people. Till one time he was invited to the, uh, to the House of Commons, and he gave a brilliant speech. The prime minister got up and applauded him, as did everybody, and they were gonna, they were gonna recommend him and 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 to applaud him. But when he when they went to award him, Michael Faraday was nowhere to be found. Come to find out, he had slipped out to attend church services with that little group of people. Somebody put it this way: Michael Faraday had slipped away from the presence of an earthly prince to seek an audience with the King of Kings. I don't know who is in your world that you might think has no value before God. But those who are harm a community are those that look at other people as not being valuable in a community. Now look at this, if you would. The talebearer, verse 13, a talebearer reveals secrets, but he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. How many of you here tonight want everything that's true about you told? Huh? I did have this warning one time when I went to Bible college, one of the men, pastoral counseling. I will tell you this, if you come to pastor and you ask for something to be kept confidential and it gets out and you know it came from pastor, you're not going to come back for counseling and nor should you. But this man told us, he said, fellas, be careful about promising to keep something confidential. He said, I did that. And the next thing the man told me was, I wanted to confess that I killed someone. So be careful. But we conceal if we want, if we want for our community to be what it is. We're, we're dealing with this right now, are we not, on a national scale? A whistleblower, which do you know that for a president, those conversations are confidential and private? The whistleblower was one of Hillary Clinton's lawyers as far as we know. And now our nation, and now uh, Nancy Pelosi says, we got to go into impeachment proceedings or hearings because a talebearer revealed a matter instead of concealed a matter. It's true that all the conversations with the president and even heads of state, uh, they're being recorded in one way or another. But I want you to look at this. A talebearer is a malicious gossip who can do much harm. We are never more like Satan, there's a blank to fill in, than when we gossip about others. The greatest scandal monger in the universe is Satan himself. The Holy Spirit tells us that Satan is the accuser of the brethren, Revelation 12, 10. He delights in parading our sins before God. He is the father of lies, John 8, 44. Satan does not need... To lie to God about us, he simply reminds what is true about us. 
Look in your Bible, Romans chapter 8, if you would. Romans chapter number 8. What happens when Satan, I want you to understand this. What happens when Satan accuses us before God? He doesn't conceal a matter. So we are like Satan when we spread gossip and dirt about somebody. What happens when an accusation against a believer is brought to God? Look at verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Is God the justifier? It's almost like God tells Satan, what sins are you talking about? We are justified. When we are justified, it is as if we had never sinned. Our sins are blotted out forever from God's memory. And Satan comes to tell the story of how bad we are. He spills out the sad story. Then Jesus, our advocate, steps forward with this and he said, what sins are you talking about? They're under the blood. They've been placed behind my back. They've been removed as far as the east from the west to remember them nor. They're buried in the depths of the sea. The Lord Jesus Christ conceals the matter concerning our sins. The competence of a community's counselors, if you look back in Proverbs. Do you know one of the greatest questions? They don't usually let... Oh, I wonder if any of you have had the privilege of, in years past, have you ever gotten to a presidential candidate to ask them a question? Anybody? Did you, Brother Bliss, with Brother, I mean, with John McCain? If he was aboard ship, I think I was with you with that. But think about this. If you had one question to ask any of the candidates that are running, what would you ask them? Look in the Bible. Let me show you what I think we ought to ask them. Look at if you would. Verse 14 says, Where no counsel is, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors there is safety. The competence of a community's counselor is one of the greatest questions we should ask our elected leaders. Tell me who's made the biggest impact in your life. When President Obama was running, he candidate Obama, if he was honest, he would say, Saul Alinsky. Rules for radicals. He worshiped at the feet of Saul Alinsky. No matter if you're Democrat or Republican, who somebody takes counsel from, he sat in a church for he and Michelle for over 20 years where they cursed the name of God from the pulpit and cursed our country. He sat in the, he sat in the pew. Tell me who you take counsel from. We ought to ask them, who's made an impact in your life? Where do you get advice from? Here's a blank to fill in. Turning his attention now from the national well-being to personal well-being, Solomon mentions an undesirable practice in verse number 15. He that is surety for a stranger shall smart for it, and he that has surety ship is sure. What is surety? Somebody tell me. We looked at this a couple weeks ago. Cosine. All right, Brother Jeff, come up here uh, if you would. Look, at, look in your Bible, Proverbs 6, would you? I want to show you and go back here. We looked at this when we were looking at Solomon's financial. Look at verse number one. It says, My son, if thou be surety for thy friend, if thou hast stricken thy hand with a stranger, thou art snared with the words of thy mouth, thou art taken with words of thy mouth. They didn't. Now watch this. How many of you, stand up here, Brother Jeff, if you would. How many of you, I grew up on a farm. I saw my dad buy a pickup one time like this. All right, Bill, what do you want for that truck? I want $2,000. All right, shake on it. That was it. Shook on it. 
Now, in Solomon's day, they struck hands. If thou hast stricken thy hand with a, thank you, Brother Jeff. If thou hast stricken thy hand with a stranger, thou art snared. You're going to be duty-bound. My pastor warned us about this, and let some, some of Solomon's financial guidelines, he said this. He said to the students, he said, be careful about lending money to each other. He said, let me give you a word of advice. He said, if you lend money to someone, ask for something of the same value you can hold till they pay you back. It's pretty smart, isn't it? I remember one time, my friend came to me and said, hey, Gordon, can I need to borrow 20 bucks. I said, what do you got? <laughs> went to practice what the preacher said. What do you have? What do you mean? I said, what do you have worth 20 bucks? And he had a real nice knife. I said, all right, give me the knife. You're not buying it. When you pay me back, I'll give you the knife back. Okay. I mean, it was like he said, you know, we get paid the same day at the same time. He said, I'll pay you back when I get paid. Okay, I know you will. I forgot about it. It was like two months later. Uh, seriously, I forgot about it. 20 bucks. One night we were working together, and I took that knife out of my pocket and started to clean my finger. He said, hey, what are you doing with my knife? He said, you owe me 20 bucks. Huh? Pastor warned us this. He said, you know what? He said, as a young pastor, I saw a young couple, and they were a dear young couple and hardworking and and, but they couldn't get a loan. They wanted to buy a house, and I co-signed. And they left the church after a while and purposely didn't make the note. And he said, I paid over $50,000. Now, this is in the 60s. If thou hast stricken thy hands with a stranger. Now, look what he says about suretyship. Look at chapter 11. You think about this. Watch what he's saying. He that is surety for a stranger shall smart for it, and he that hates suretyship is sure. Surety for a stranger. Surety was a guarantor of a loan. The Bible here warns us not to co-sign if we do not know the person. We looked at chapter 6, 1 through 11. Can I say this to you? I've never seen this before. Jesus is everywhere in Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, is he not? I see him here. Jesus was a guarantor for your sins and mine. There was never a greater stranger in the world than Jesus. Look at Matthew 25. Go with me. Matthew, and he says here, Solomon said, if you're surety for a stranger, look at Matthew 25 and verse 35 says, for I was a hungered and you gave me meat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a what? Stranger, and you took me in. We gave through two other uh, references there about Jesus being a stranger. But Jesus came into this world to be surety for Adam's ruined race, didn't he? The soul that sinneth, it shall die. And God the Father sent his only son to, to come to be suretyship for our sin debt. Go with me in your mind to the Old Testament. The Old Testament sacrifices throughout the entire Old Testament period, the animal sacrifices were valid only for one reason. They were backed by a guarantee from heaven that in time the entire indebtedness would be paid. And Jesus, as the Lamb of God, came and paid that sin debt that the blood of bulls and goats and pigeons could not cover. 
Look in your Bible, if you would, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 2 Corinthians chapter number 8, and look at verse number 9. 2 Corinthians 8 and verse number 9, look at what it says. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for his sake, for your sake, he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. That does, has nothing to say about money in the bank or prosperity gospel. We were poor spiritually, bankrupt because of our sin, and Jesus came. Look at 1 Peter chapter number 2. Follow me there if you would please. 1 Peter chapter number 2, and look at verse number 22 through 24. 1 Peter 2, 22. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Whom when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, nor committed himself, uh, uh, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto, uh, unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye are healed. When Jesus came to earth, the Bible says, Solomon said in verse 15, that if you are surety for a stranger, you're going to smart for it. Did Jesus smart for our sins? His beard was plucked for your sins and mine. That spear went into his side for your sins and mine. He thirsted for your sins and mine. I want to show you this last thing. We'll close. Give me just a couple minutes. Then go back to verse number 16. This is kind of a, kind of a uh, off the topic but we want to end with this tonight, verse 16. A gracious woman retaineth honor, and strong men retain riches. Can I say this to you? I believe it's the work of Satan. Here's a, uh, here's a blank to fill in. It's a work of Satan in our society that divides men and women. Equal pay. Do you know what? And watch this. The woman's movement, feminism, is trying to raise a woman to... The level of a man. Can I say this to you ladies? I thought this 1,000 times. Let's see how many of you are presently married. You think about this, Brother Nathan. You'll learn this one day. Ladies, I think when you try to be equal with a man, you take a step down. Can I say this to you? The Bible says, and the societies and the religion that downplays womanhood, womanhood, that's Islamic religion. But let me say this to you. I often looked at my wife, and still to today, how you take care of kids, change their diapers, put a meal on the table, keep the house clean and the laundry, and cook and shop. I'm thinking, lady, I don't want your job. I do not want your job. I do not know how you do it. Huh? God bless you. Oh, you don't want it either. <laughs> when we take, here's a blank to fill in. When we take our God-given roles, we are fulfilled and live the life of success in God's eyes. Ladies, you are valuable to this church. You're valuable to society. You're valuable to God. Don't try to be something that God didn't make you to be. And you think about this, no society should or has or should uh, devalue the impact of women in society. Think of some women in the Bible who were strong women who God used, and they made their country better. What about Hannah? 
prayed for a a male child and how God used Samuel and how Samuel changed a nation because a godly woman like Hannah prayed and God answered her prayer. What about Esther? Was used of God quite possibly saved an entire race of people. Who can tell that thou hast come to the kingdom for such a time as this? And Esther rose to the occasion and the Jewish people were saved. One we don't think of, we don't have time to turn to. I think the references are in your, bio, in your notes. First Sam, second, uh, First Samuel 25, Abigail. What do you know about Abigail? Huh? She was married to a wonderful, godly prince of a fellow, was she not? No. Well, who was she married to? Nabal. What was he like? He was a fool. You're right. Who said that? He was a fool. David had some sheep shears in the area, and, and, and he went over to Nabal and, and asked for, uh, for some, some substance and some things, and Nabal treated them rudely, and David got mad, and he armed his men and said, back, we're going to take care of matters. And a godly woman named Abigail understood and she headed off at the pass, and she met David. She fell down, and she worshipped him. And, I mean, as far as, I mean, she understood who he was and, and anointed of God, and she gave him provision. And later on, and watch this, when she goes back, it wasn't any time at all that Nabal was in a party and in a drunken, uh, drunken manner, and God killed him. And who became Abigail's new husband, David. Can I say this to you ladies? You may, hey, I promise you this, you don't want to come to this church if we take all the ladies' influence out. You don't want to come to this church. And I'm not sure you want to come to any church. Ladies, you have value before God. And I mean this honestly. We uplift you, and I hope that never, and I, I was a part of a ministry for a while, my wife and I were for over a year. The preacher preaches from the pulpit. Women, you have two things you're good for. Biscuits and babies, he'd say from the pulpit. How foolish. How foolish. They would have an activity for the church, and the ladies would stay for a baseball game, and they would stay and make the food and applaud the men, but never, you're not on the same, you're not on the same level as the men. You just, I'm going to say this to you. The harshness that was in that church was undeniable. Gracious woman. Can I say this, ladies? The Bible says that your price is far above rubies. God says if, uh, if we men, if we find that virtuous woman, she's a gift from God. A prudent wife is from where? The Lord. And so ladies, can I say this to you? I don't mind, ladies, that that have something on the ball, and they can lead, and they can do some things. God uses you now. Truth of the matter is, take your role. In Ephesians 5, he tells us the role of the husband and the wife in the home. Take that position. Take that role. You'll be more happy and satisfied when you place yourself underneath the leadership of your husband. So we look at this as we close. I think about our nation. Our nation, to my knowledge... Now, these are not impeachment proceedings going on. 
Don't get caught up in the vernacular. These are not impeachment proceedings. Inquiry. But to somebody help me. To my knowledge, we've impeached two other presidents. Right? Two. Who are they? There's another one. Nixon. Was Nixon impeached? We've had two. I think there was two. But I'm going to say this to you. We have applauded some people that are not godly. And they're in places of leadership. And they're tearing our country down. Can I say this to you? Second Chronicles 7.14 still works. If my people, which who are called by my name, watch this, will do what? Humble themselves and do what? Pray. Seek my face. Turn from their wicked way. Then will I hear from heaven. And what will he do? Forgive their sins and I'll heal their land. America needs God's blessings. You're not going to agree with this, but I'm going to put it out there because I believe it. It's not the beer in the icebox of the lost man that's taken America down. It's the beer in the icebox of the Christian. God looks at us and says, I want to bless this nation. When this nation raises the godly and puts godly leaders and extols them, I'm able to add my blessings. Pray for your country. Father.